Thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. The time has arrived. We're talking about week one, DraftKings picks, all positions, getting you ready, main slate only. And if you don't know what that means, well, you've tuned into probably the wrong show. If you're asking where the Monday night game is, it's not on the main slate. Just a heads up to what that could mean. I got some giveaways and I got some announcements. One, the giveaways. Bunch of ways to do that. Number one, smash the like button for this episode. Leave a DraftKings handle in the comment section. You tell me which player on the main slate. If you give me a non-main slate, you're disqualified from the giveaways, who is the best value of any position on the board for week one. The second way to do so is subscribe, rate, and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Give it five stars. No four stars, no three stars, definitely not a one star, maybe a two, who knows. But five stars, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show, you too will be in the draw for 20 DK dollars. The other way to do that is follow me on Instagram, at the PME Heart. one of the football photos that are up there. Leave a DraftKings handle in the comment section. You too will be in a draw for 20 DK bucks. And the big news and the big announcement is the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League is functional for week one the link is in the description and comment section of this podcast if you're watching the video we can't post that link on youtube or we'll get banned for life so it just redirects you to the podcast where then you can find the link super easy to do there's only 3500 spots so this is going to fill super quickly we have golf ones that are like eight times this size so football definitely going to fill it's 15 dollars to enter three max entry uh and go reserve your spot right now get all three entries in there maybe you can sell them off for like 50 bucks or something like that if people really want to get in it is rake free so all the money is going to the pot over fifty thousand dollars guaranteed in the pat mayo experience week one DraftKings listeners league let's get into this joining me to break down the entire slate of week one and all the totals the high totals the low totals every single position hopefully the picks you need to make from dailyroto.com and if you use the promo code the pme at dailyroto.com you'll get yourself 10% off any of the packages that are up there. Not even just football, any of the packages. So I highly recommend you all go do that because I use Daily Roto. That's why I have Drew and Mike on the show. Mike, what is happening, my man? Not much. Getting prepared to resell some Pat Mayo Experience tickets on eBay. I think that's my main week one strategy. Yeah, you haven't even joined yet. So I just looked at the list. You're not even in yet. You might even, by the time you remember to go enter, it's probably going to be filled. No way. I'm doing it right after this. All right. Also from DailyRoto.com, one of the other co-founders, former millionaire maker winner, Drew Dinkmeyer. What's happening? Hey, I'm happy to be here, Pat. I know we did the the full kind of DFS tutorial on how to break down and play DraftKings DFS, but uh, we'll hone in on, on some specific plays this week, and that's always more fun for me. Oh, of course. I mean, talking about week one, talking about the action, I rarely get excited, but week one of football, really, it's like master's week and week one of football when I get super jazzed to do all the shows. Then like the other 50 weeks of the year, I'm like, (laughs) but if people do want to go scroll back and watch the intro to NFL DraftKings for 2019, that is in the description. It's up on all the Pat Mayo video. I recommend people watch it on the video feed. It's a good listen. Mind you, I mean, you can go do both if you really want to. But if you check out the video version, you can see all the tools 
tools, how to use them from dailyroto.com. I do want to let people know that we are recording this on the Thursday before the week starts, so a week out. Um, so I will have a re-up. This will be released on a Friday. Uh, for the following Friday, I'll re-up any of the injuries that happened, weather concerns, all that stuff. But we want to get ahead of the game on this. I'm super fired up. Mike, let's talk about the biggest totals of the week before we get into anything. And people use the description. They can jump to the position that they want to hear about first. But I'm looking at the totals right now. Uh, Kansas City and Jacksonville is a 52 total. The Rams and Carolina, 50 and a half total. San Francisco, Tampa Bay, 50 total. The three lowest on the board are Baltimore, Miami, 37 and a half. Buffalo and the Jets, 39 and a half. And then there's a five point gap or four and a half point gap or five, five and a half point gap. Either way, Indianapolis and the Chargers is now 44 based on the Andrew Luck retirement. Uh, of those low total games, is there any one in particular you can see yourself actively targeting though? I mean, as you said, it's a five and a half point gap or four and a half to five and a half point gap. So if you're going to target one of the low total games, I think it's going to be the Chargers Colts game Brissett in that game. I believe he's just 4,400 uh, with having him having some rushing ability. And I'm just confident with Frank Reich, you know, at, you know, running this offense. I don't see the comparisons being accurate to what Jacoby Brissett did a couple of years ago when Andrew Luck is out. I've seen a lot of people posting those numbers. I think it's going to be a completely different situation. You've got a new coaching staff. You've got a much better offensive line. So I expect him to be decently successful. So there's some things you can do with that game, certainly around you know the cheapest starting quarterback on the board. Drew, seven-point dogs on the road at the Chargers in L.A. Do you think that like playing a naked Jacoby Brissett without any of the other Colts around him as the move, or would you actually pair him with someone, or would you just say, screw that, I'm not playing Jacoby Brissett, regardless of how good the savings are? Yeah, so usually when you see a $4,400 starting quarterback on DraftKings, that's like one of the first things you look at on a weekly basis is who's the cheap quarterback that I'm going to play so I can fit in all these expensive skill position players. But week one of the NFL, because pricing is released so early to gather steam for these games, there are a lot of values at all other positions. So you don't necessarily have to play Brissett. I do think that He's going to earn his way into plenty of my lineups because the cheap quarterbacks just have such a high rate of return historically. And playing on the road in the Chargers situation isn't really a traditional road game because they don't really draw substantial home fans and home field advantage. So I think it's going to be an okay spot for Brissett, a really good price tag. Whether to pair him with someone, though, I'm less confident in because I think there's so many strong values. and He's so cheap that he really doesn't need a ton to pay off his price tag, but I think you can play him uh, naked in tournaments or in cash games to start the season. Yeah, like let's say if Naheem Hines had been $3,000 instead of $3,900, I see how logically that makes a bit of sense because Hines going into the season, we thought we wouldn't see much of him in terms of snap share with the Colts being really good and their win total being nine and a half instead of now six and a half, that they'd be up in so many of these games that you would only get a lot of Marlon Mack. And if they're going to be seven point dogs on the road, Mike, there does become a situation where Hines does have ability as a pass catcher. The problem is, as Drew pointed out, because the pricing was released so early that 3,900 for Naheem Hines, maybe in a, like week seven would be great in this situation, but there are so many other good running back values is that you just kind of have to pass him by, don't you? Yeah, I think so. If I'm pairing Brissett, it's going to be with T.Y. Hilton just because he has such game-breaking ability, you know, no matter who his quarterback was. His efficiency with Brissett was actually about the same as it was with Luck two years ago. He just didn't have the volume, and that's certainly a concern. But at his price tag, $6,600, there's a lot of value receivers that are on the board that have a ton of hype in season-long drafts I think are going to garner ownership. You might be looking at a sub-5% T.Y. Hilton you know, a guy that can break 
two big plays in a game and completely change the slate. So I think that's interesting for tournaments. Not someone you'd go heavy on, but I don't mind, you know, doing that stack maybe in five to ten percent of your lineups. Yeah, I don't really enjoy T.Y. Hilton in this situation, to be perfectly honest with you. I always prefer to play him at home, regardless of the situation. I like him on the fast track. I don't sense. love him outdoors. We've seen like the splits historically, and, and they were especially pronounced with Jacoby Brissett when he was starting two years ago versus Luck, who's just really, really good. So, Drew, if we're looking at these other like low scoring games, Baltimore, Miami, Buffalo, and the Jets, Daily Roto, the optimizer, loves a lot of these Jets guys. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for the Jets simply because you're going to get more condensed market shares and you're getting pretty good price tags on most of these guys. Le'Veon Bell, uh, Robbie Anderson, although we'll have to see with Anderson, his health up in the air a little bit heading uh, towards the end of the preseason here. But ultimately, you know, we're expecting the Jets to take a step forward offensively with a, a competent running back situation and a tandem now with Ty Montgomery playing well in the preseason as well. And then, you know, the, the improvement in receiving options for Sam Darnold. You lose Chris Herndon early in the season, but you gain Jamison Crowder, and they've built certainly a strong rapport early in the preseason. So I think there'll be spots to poten potentially target some of these Jets individually as kind of like one-off plays. But the Bills' defense is, is a very, very good defense. They have a really strong secondary. So it's not necessarily a game that I'm going to target. There's just some price tags that I might pick up. Yeah, well, Mike, Josh Allen's in that game. You're using him, aren't you? I probably won't be using much Josh Allen. He is one of the more difficult guys to project, both in season-long and daily fantasy, because his rushing ability, we've seen him have, I think last year he had three top two quarterback performances on the week, which is kind of insane for a quarterback that had you know, one of the worst adjusted net yards per attempt of the last decade. Uh, but that's what rushing does for fantasy football. The hard part with Josh Allen is predicting those rushes because nearly all of them came on scrambles and scrambles aren't as stable year over year. Like with Lamar Jackson, we see a lot of designed rush attempts and we feel better accounting for those in our model. Whereas Josh Allen, it gets a little bit more difficult. You know, how many of those scrambles do you assume are just going to continue as teams catch on and play the bills a little bit differently? And I think ultimately such a low total game, a team that's not going to throw the ball very much. Uh, I'm out on Josh Allen on a really big slated games for week one. I enjoy that Josh Allen has become the quarterback that all the stat nerds hate like you, Mike. I just, I'm going <laughs> to just blindly back him anyway, just so he breaks your model. That's fair. I wrote an article uh, on Roto Experts about Josh Allen where I was at least a little bit optimistic. So that's we, we can change. That's a little bit better, I suppose. You kind of hit on something that I find very fascinating is that the spillover from season-long drafts and the hype that people get going into the season might actually translate to week one. We're probably not going to see that in week four or week seven, but where people have done drafts so early, like, oh, I'm going to reach for this guy. I really like this guy. This guy's dropping down the board. Do you think that's a viable strategy to try to project ownership or at least who's going to be very highly owned versus very lowly owned in week one? I think it can certainly help project ownership. We also see a lot of those guys in pretty good spots. You know, Curtis Samuel, a guy had a ton of preseason buzz. He's 4,200 in this game against the Rams that you noted, one of the higher team totals uh, on the slate. And you also get Chris Godwin for Tampa Bay, another guy that we really like, but a lot of people really like him. And that's another one of the high total games, that San Francisco-Tampa Bay game. So I think guys that are in a combination of a good spot and have the season-long hype, you can bet pretty sure that they're going to be somewhat owned and especially on DraftKings with the pricing come out, coming out early and whatnot. Some of these guys we like in season long because they're good draft day values. They didn't necessarily have huge seasons last year, 
but that means their pricing for week one on DraftKings isn't that huge either. So you get good spots, good context for some of these guys. You get good week one pricing, and then you get the season-long hype. So I certainly think there's a handful of guys that are being touted heavily, especially in the DFS circles for the guys who cross over to season-long that are going to carry high ownership. Drew, of the three highest projected games on the slate in terms of game totals, like I mentioned, you have Casey in Jacksonville, the Rams in Carolina, San Francisco and Tampa Bay. Which one do you think is going to be the most popularly attacked game on DraftKings in week one? Because I'm thinking it's going to be San Francisco and Tampa. That's interesting. I think it'll be uh, Carolina and the Los Angeles Rams. Now, I think a lot of this will come down to the health reports of Cam Newton uh, as he left the week three preseason game with a foot issue, but was supposedly cleared to practice and uh, should be good to go week one. At least that was their, their hopes and their optimism. As long as that is the case, I think because of some of those low price tags on the Carolina receivers that Mike alluded to with uh, Curtis Samuel, really affordable, but also uh, DJ Moore really affordable. And we know because there's not as many high priced wide receivers on the slate in week one, that Christian McCaffrey is going to have a, a lot of attention as well, even though he is priced very expensively. So I think the Carolina side will garner a lot of attention and uh, formulate some natural stacks with Cam Newton. And then I think because the Rams run such a condensed offense in terms of their target share among the three receivers and Todd Gurley, I think you'll see a situation where you can easily bring players back on their side. Um, I do think that Kansas City and Jacksonville is going to be interesting to see because the price tags on the Kansas City guys are generally on the higher end compared to the slate. I mean, they're more like normal price tags for those guys, and there's just a lot of value elsewhere. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, going into Jacksonville is a situation that garners attention and, and ownership interest. Because in general, throughout the, the season last year, everybody wanted to play the Chiefs as much as they could. Well, let's talk about that game a little bit, Mike, before we dive into the actual positions. And almost like the Tampa game, it seems like it's pretty obvious who you stack in the Tampa game as a part of the passing game because you don't really want a part of the three-headed monster of the Tampa backfield unless you really have some insight that you know who it's going to be. And it's almost like no one really wants to take any of the Jags guys either. Like, I would think the most common stack of that game is going to be Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill and probably bring it back with like DD or Fournette. I mean, that would make the most sense. Like, does DD have the ability to be one of the highest owned players on this slate? Because I love DD this week, like for week one. I don't think he's going to be one of the highest owned because I think there's going to be enough concerns about the Jaguars offense. I think there's enough people that are going to play Curtis Samuel for $600 cheaper, DJ Moore for a little bit more, as Drew alluded to. I think he ends up middle of the pack. I mean, that's a boring thing to say, but I really think he's middle of the pack there at $4,800. One of those guys that you can make a case to go overboard on, underweight on, but I certainly think he's the main guy you would want to return on a Kansas City stack, just assuming that Jacksonville has to transition to more of a pass-oriented offense than they want to because they're behind. Of course, one thing you can always do in these games is flip the script. You know, what if Jacksonville's winning this game? You know, how do things go when you go for net with the KC stack? Uh, because a lot of times people look at a three, three and a half point spread and they'll be playing, oh, game script, game script, game script. And it's like the spread's three to four points. Uh, the probability of the other team winning is what, you know, 30 plus percent at that point. It's not as high as I think we make it out to be. Uh, we sometimes take those lines to be gospel. I will say Damian Williams, you know, we mentioned guys that have a lot of hype in season long. Damian Williams is one of the most divisive guys in season long. There are people, and uh, we're on the optimistic side at Roto Experts. I know Davis Maddock loves him, think, Drew Davis and I just took him the second round of an FFPC main event draft, but there's other people or in other drafts, you'll see him drop to the fourth round. So very divisive guy. You get a divisive player 
on a week where there's a lot of good running back plays in a tough matchup against Jacksonville. I'm hoping he goes a little bit overlooked on this slate uh, in the mid six thousands. And that would be a really interesting guy to plant your flag on, so to speak week one. Yeah. As some of the pieces that people might not attack in this game drew like DJ Chark, I think is very interesting. It looks like he's going to be healthy for week one. And we just know that he's a big play guy. If you have Kansas city's defense out there, I mean, Nick Foles, isn't the craziest option. He might not present any value based on some of the rushing quarterbacks that are around him in pricing but if this is going to be the highest projected point total game on the board let's say Kansas City does get in front early could you do like a Jacksonville stack with Damian Williams coming back and is someone like Sammy Watkins bound to be overlooked in this game with like they've they've already come out and said that uh, Jalen Ramsey is going to shadow Tyree Kill maybe that makes Watkins a good play yeah, the Watkins uh, situation is one that I will be gleaning heavily listening to other podcasts around the industry and trying to get a, a handle on how people are viewing that situation if they're really uh, talking up this Tyreek Hill shadow situation with J- Jalen Ramsey because that is one thing that oftentimes with receivers you can see kind of outsized ownership go based on these wide receiver cornerback matchups and oftentimes for us uh, they're not so predictive that we value it as much as the ownership. So that's what I'm going to be keeping kind of my eye on as as the week develops, because we do like Sammy Watkins quite a bit just overall in, in both season long and in DFS. And so if he gets a lot of hype behind him, that might be a situation to pull the brakes a little bit. But if he is flying under the radar and most of the stacks are going to be Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, because that's it's not that hard to fit in week one. There's plenty of salary relief options available. And people usually that's the way that they try to get the Chiefs in. Um, then, then I'll be on Sammy for sure. But I think your point about the Jacksonville stack is is an interesting one because, as Mike alluded to, oftentimes you think of these games as only kind of one direction, and it's certainly a direction in the sense that you know Kansas City kind of forces opposing teams to play a little bit faster because they do score points and they do score points generally quickly with big plays. So it often allows other teams to rack up plays, and then Jacksonville has played so slow the last few years with those Blake Bortles offenses because they just haven't had a lot of confidence in the quarterback. So the question is, if they play from behind, will they pick up the pace? And will you see outsized plays in this game? Because I do think you might see more condensed target shares from Jacksonville, especially with Marquise Lee hampered early on in the season. And so guys like DJ Shark, DD Westbrook, and Leonard Fournette, they all could pick up loads in the passing game. And I don't think they're going to be primary plays for people. I do agree with you guys that I think DD will be the most popular of the group, but I think there's probably some opportunity there in one of those higher total games. If you ask me of those six teams of the three games we outlined with the highest totals, which team would be the lowest owned? I would say Jacksonville. I would think it's Jacksonville or San Francisco. And the big yeah. the big sleeper in this game, especially if Lee is out and they are and they end up playing from behind and play a faster pace, you can find themselves into the red zone. You can have Jeff Swaim for basically Swaim. free in this yeah. game. And if he's actually going to start for Jacksonville, like we know Nick Foles likes tight ends. Yep. Yeah, and Swaim uh, was pretty good in his in his opportunities in Dallas. I mean, Dallas always had kind of like a rotating tight end position in the absence here without Jason Witten, but Swaim played pretty well. the absurd Week 17 game, was that? Yeah, yeah, he had the multiple touchdown Week 17 uh, game that kind of turned the tides on everybody on that slate against, I believe it was against the Giants, um, or I just remember every tight end ever scoring against the Giants <laughs> going on for like five years now. Um, but yeah, he, he's had a pretty good preseason rapport, according to the beat reporters with full. So I can definitely see that. And those t- the tight end ownership is really going to condense on this slate because Hunter Henry is really affordable. People are going to want to play Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey. So any of those other secondary value tight ends, you're going to get them with no ownership. Yeah, I would think that Evan Ingram comes in with decent ownership yeah. too. It seems like everyone's going to pay up 
at tight end, even for some of the more affordable guys. But 2,900, if that's the position you wanted to punt, A, it makes you know salary cap much easier to fit in some of the high-end guys, and it's just likely a spot where people aren't going to go to. Incredibly risky, mind you, because it's, yeah. Jeff, it's got to be swaying. But, but if, you're going the, if you're going those Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey stacks, you kind of need somebody super cheap, even if it's not Kelsey. Let's say you want to use Swaim as a tight end and you don't want to use two tight ends. Like Mahomes, Hill, Watkins, um, because Mahomes is expensive, because Tyreek is generally expensive, like you do need that salary relief. And so it's, a, it's definitely a different lineup construction build on the whole than uh, what everyone else is going to be playing out there. Uh, Mike? Drew says that Jacksonville, those players will probably be the lowest owned. I would think that the San Francisco players are going to be the lowest owned, uh, minus Kittle, I suppose. Who, But I guess if tight end is evenly distributed across the board because they're affordable options, maybe he doesn't garner the sort of ownership that maybe you'd expect for a very, very good spot against Tampa Bay. But it just doesn't feel like anyone has a read on what's going on in San Francisco. Yeah, and our projections – Sort of don't have a read either. If you look, we have a lot of negatively projected guys there considering it is such a favorable matchup, such a favorable scoring environment. You know, we're still working on our projections to make in the correct defensive adjustments based on the team that they're facing. But I know a guy that Drew and I like a lot at the end of season longs is Marquise Goodwin, who just has that big playability. And I think if you're playing in tournaments, you can get him for really low ownership. He's a cheap third wide receiver that you can use. And he's the guy that, you know, I was talking about T.Y. Hilton, you know, two long plays. You can get those two long plays from Marquise Goodwin. I do think with Jarek McKinnon, you know, basically, I don't know if he's been put on IR. It certainly seems like he's trending towards being put on IR. That leaves you with both Breda and Tevin Coleman. And if you have a strong conviction on the volume there, you could easily see where one of those guys becomes a really positive value. Right now, our projections have it split just enough that they're both sort of neutral values. But if you guess correctly on, which one of those is going to get the touchdown, which one of those is going to get the bulk of the distribution. Uh, There's definitely value there with uh, Coleman coming in at $5,000. I believe Brad is just under 4,000 or right around $4,000. Yeah, I would uh, guess. I don't really have, I think that Coleman's going to be the guy, at least the goal line guy in this Mm -hmm. situation. Maybe Brad gets stuck on the field during passing downs. He just ends up through osmosis garnering some of this goal line work. But if I had to bet on one, it would be Coleman who scores the touchdowns, at least on the ground, if they're going to turn around and hand the ball off. But I do think that Brada, because of the $1,000 discount that you get from 5,000 to 4,000 from Coleman, and the fact that he's being hyped up as a late round sleeper in season long leagues now, that he might actually like I can see people saying like, let's, let's presume Zeke is out. Let's just pretend like this, this is the scenario that there's going to be people that don't play Tony Pollard, but play Matt Breda. That's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that you're definitely, if the ownership is close between Breda and Coleman, I definitely think you want more Coleman, even at the higher price tag, just because the, in my opinion, the chances of him getting a more well-rounded workload across the board are much higher than Breda. And that's, what's going to get you this ceiling game. Uh, I don't know if we do we want to venture into the if Zeke's out because that is an interesting topic for week one both you know both Zeke and Melvin Gordon currently still holding out as we're recording this well look at you producing the show let's talk about running backs Mike you're you've done the show so many times you know exactly where I'm going with this all of the running backs above six thousand dollars this week at the very very high end it is Ezekiel Elliott as the most expensive ninety two hundred dollars still no word on whether he's going to play or not as of this recording he is not because he's still holding out. Barkley's second in the same game on the other side of the ball at 9,000. McCaffrey, 88. 
And then we have, who else do we have here? Gurley is 79, David Johnson 77, Melvin Gordon 75. He's probably not going to play. Le'Veon Bell 71, Mixon 6,700, Nick Chubb, 6,400, Damian Williams, 63. Then you have Fournette and Delvin Cook at 61 and $6,000. So let's talk about the Zeke situation for a second, Mike, that if Zeke doesn't play, all of a sudden you have Tony Pollard in an excellent spot as huge favorites where they project to run the ball a lot at a fantastic price point. Now, we talked about this a little bit and this situation that can arise week to week because of injuries or whatever on the running back, the cheap chalk running back, that would you play him in 100% of lineups? I definitely think it would be in consideration. I just fooled around a little bit, gave him about 60% market share of the team's carries, 12% market share of the team's targets. I think that might be on the conservative end. If Zeke was out based on the preseason usage that we've seen out of Tony Pollard, maybe I have too much Davis Maddock in my eardrum going on right now. But uh, with those somewhat conservative volume expectations, that puts him as the top value in our projections. And I think that's also with a somewhat conservative yards per carry, just a low four yards per carry. Whereas at home, big favorites against the Giants team, you could see the yards per carry escalating closer towards five. So uh, I would, you know, it's hard to say a week and a half out, but gun to my head, I would say that I'd be, I'd be prone to making a Pollard lock. Let's just say Pollard lock if Zeke is out as of today. Drew, how would you tackle the Tony Pollard like, what do you think his ownership would end up being in the millionaire maker if Zeke is out? Um, I would guess the ownership would probably end up somewhere between 30? 30, 30 and 40%. Um, 40 would be the high end. He's just gotten so much preseason hype. I don't know how much that has translated to the casual players, but I assume just because from the season long side, his ADP has jumped like 10 rounds in the last three weeks. Um, that it will carry over. So I would guess somewhere between 30 to 40, and I, w- I would feel pretty confident that he would be the highest owned running back on the slate. Well, the big thing, too, is where he comes in at $4,500. If you just start looking at the running backs around him, it doesn't seem like there's a natural pivot in that spot, at least one that will garner the snap share and market share and goal line work that Tony Pollard will. I mean, you can make the case for LaShawn McCoy. You could say, oh, Belage is way better than Drake, but if Drake's back, that's probably going to be a split. Who knows what's going on in Philly with Jordan Howard. Carlos Hyde probably going to be cut. Darius Geis, I mean, he's going to split with Peterson, I guess, and Chris Thompson's in the mix. You got Lewis, and you have Derrick Henry, Darrell Henderson. Sorry, Daryl Henderson. I mean, I don't know how many touches he's going to get. Like, it's just very clear that he would be the guy, and I can see that being, like, close to 40%. But you're right, being a week out and not knowing how the casual public feels about him, it's really difficult to project those ownerships. Yeah, the thing that I would say is that if this was like week eight of the NFL season and the pricing didn't have so many distinct values because it you know, was, was released uh, the week of and pricing was a little bit tighter, I would say that ownership would probably be even higher. But because there's so many, there, you're correct in that there aren't direct pivots right around him price-wise, but there's enough running back value on the whole, like a little bit higher in the 6,000 range that I think the ownership won't get really out of control. Um, and at 30 to 40, I still think you could take a really strong position on him if you wanted to with the lock button. Uh, I generally just let kind of uh, lineups run unconstrained to see how much I'd get of a player while using some of the tools we have with shuffle and volatility and stuff. Uh, and that helps me get give a guide of, of how much I'd own the player. But 
I think in this spot, I would probably end up being overweight uh, the field if he was 30 to 40 and Zeke was ruled out. Okay, so let's live in a hypothetical world where on Wednesday, Zeke signs. Zeke's starting week one. He's the most expensive running back on the board. He inherits the same excellent matchup. Would you have concerns about his, not necessarily durability, but maybe his market share week one without having gone through training camp? But he's been training with Marshall Falk. He's in the best shape of his life. I've heard these reports, Drew, that would you use Zeke over the McCaffreys of the world and the Barclays of the world? So that would really come down to the gap in projected ownership between that trio. Um, I would have concerns about the overall usage, uh, just given the fact that Tony Pollard's made such a strong impression, uh, seemingly on everybody that's followed the Dallas uh, camp, all kind of through training camp and the preseason, that I think Pollard's probably earned some semblance of market share and more than we've seen in the past from other Dallas running backs. The question, And then early in the season, I think maybe even a little bit more just because they, they're probably going to, you know, as Jerry Jones has said, that it's a long season. They want Zeke kind of around for the playoffs and whatnot. So I, I think there are some concerns there. If the ownership discount was, let's say, uh, Zeke was a quarter or a fifth of the ownership of, of Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, I probably would have some at that levels. If it was just like a half or like, um, you know, like – uh, 80% of, of the ownership, I probably, I probably would, would just stick with the guys who I feel more confident in their overall workload. Yeah. I don't really have concerns about Zeke losing a ton of market share as the season goes along, but just week one specifically where he hasn't been around, that would be an issue for me. Mike, how would you treat Zeke if he came back midweek? I probably wouldn't have very much of him. And I think given the context at home versus the giants that enough people would play him, that wouldn't be worth it. The other aspect to this it's not just comparing him to McCaffrey comparing him to the other really expensive running backs Saquon Barkley the best running backs on this slate is like this mid mid high tier I mean you've got Nick Chubb Delvin Cook in great spots even Le'Veon Bell uh, if you feel good about his usage in the low seven Ks there's just a lot of guys in that mid mid high tier range Damian Williams who I hit on when we're talking the Casey Jacksonville game that I don't want a whole bunch of the very expensive guys anyway. So if I'm going to take one of them, I want to feel really, really confident in them. And I'm not going to have that confidence factor with Zeke. Okay. Let's talk about Melvin Gordon before we start digging into the best plays. I think you kind of hit on the tier that a lot of people are gravitating towards, but if you're going to save all this money with Tony Pollard, maybe you can spend up if that's a situation that you find yourself in. But if Melvin Gordon sits, you have Austin Eckler, you have Justin Jackson. Now I don't think that we're going to see a situation where if you, let's say optimistically, you're like, you know what? There's no Zeke. Tony Pollard gets 85% of the snaps. Probably doesn't happen, but that's at least on the table, it seems. It does not seem like that's on the table in the Chargers' backfield. I think Drew and I have different opinions on Eckler. I'm a little bit down on Eckler. I know last year uh, it was the London game, so it's hard to put too much stock into that, but he really struggled when getting a really, really high workload with Melvin Gordon out there, and then it seemed like they balanced things out a little bit, so... I mean, he'd be in play, but it'd be nowhere near the Tony Pollard type value. I think he'd just be an okay value. He'd probably be in the top 10 of values outside of the top five. Uh, last year, Drew, Indianapolis per DVOA had the fourth best rush defense in the league. Now, if you play Eckler, you're anticipating getting a lot of those catches out of the backfield. The stuff that makes him valuable when Melvin Gordon is around, plus you add potential goal line work, all that rushing to go along with it. But it just seems like, if I could pay $1,000 more and get a guaranteed bell cow back, why would I pay for Austin Eckler? 
Yeah, that's generally how I feel as well with regards to DFS. I think, you know, if you're looking at kind of the whole season, if Gordon was to sit for a while, I do think Eckler will have the more valuable uh, down work in, from a fantasy perspective in terms of that passing down work. But this particular matchup and then all the other price tags of some of the guys that, as you alluded to, Pat, we have a little bit more clarity on their overall workload. I would lean in those directions as well. So for me, the Melvin Gordon holdout situation isn't quite as critical to the slate as the Ezekiel Elliott holdout situation. Uh, anything else on the top two guys? You have McCaffrey, you have Barkley, Drew. Do you think you'll be using those or are you going to be like Mike and drop into that upper tier just below them? Because it does seem, although you can afford it in different ways, depending on how you want to manage that, I don't know if a lot of people are going to use Barkley, which we talked about this in the season long preview that sometimes it's best to take these high volume, high talented players that don't appear to be in great spots because that kills their ownership. But Barkley's Barkley. You can go nuts in this game. Yeah, volume always trumps efficiency in terms of when you're trying to do projections. And so for me, if that comes with lower ownership as well, then I'm usually pretty intrigued. Um, the, the price tags stand out in a bad way compared to the rest of the running backs, meaning that they don't stand out as great values. But there's also so much value on the slate that's not particularly hard to get to them. And they have such great guaranteed volume in terms of the, the touches that they're going to get. So I think more people will use Christian McCaffrey. It's, you know, the higher total gain, the higher team total, uh, they're priced similarly. They're going around the same spot in season long drafts. So I think you will get a decent ownership discount on Saquon Barkley. I will likely have exposure to both of them. Um, in terms of where I'll be compared to the field, I'm not really sure yet. I think I will probably have more, uh, more McCaffrey than Barkley. Uh, but it really depends on how ownership uh, shakes out between those two. But I will have both of those uh, throughout the you know 150 or so lineups that I create. Mike, is Todd Gurley the most difficult player to project ownership for and just projections for on the slate? Yeah, Todd Gurley is really difficult to project just because we, we don't know. We really have no idea how they're going to distribute the volume there. If they distribute it like they did for most of last season when it seemed like he was healthy, you know, he's underpriced. He should be in that $9,000 range with Zeke, with Barkley, with Christian McCaffrey. If he's the guy that we saw at the end of last season that was splitting almost equally with CJ Anderson and looked atrocious out there, looked very jittery, then he looked like he was playing gingerly, then he's overpriced at his current price tag. So those are guys I think on a different slate I'd like to take a shot on. I probably won't get crazy cute unless I have a strong conviction on a player just because there's so many options week one. There's so many guys that are mispriced that, uh, you know, I don't see myself having a lot of girly unless the projected ownership ends up coming, you know, at an egregious discount. But I think enough people will play him just seeing that seven and that salary uh, when there's some guys with nines to start their salary. So, Drew, I'm going to make a statement. You tell me if it's accurate or inaccurate. Or actually, if it's a smart idea or a bad idea. It's probably, and if it's coming from me, it's probably a bad idea. But in season long. Accurate. Thank you. In season long drafts, uh, I would rather have David Johnson than Todd Gurley on my roster. I'm not super high on David Johnson, but I'm scared of Todd Gurley. However, in week one, on DraftKings, I would rather have Todd Gurley around the similar price just because it seems Ooh. like a situation to me that he's had all this time off to get healthy. Not saying he's going to continue to be healthy all season, but if there's a week where he's going to be healthy, it's probably going to be week one. There's been all of this buzz surrounding him that they don't know what they're doing in the backfield. Gurley is cooked. There's a high projected point total game. I don't think that people are going to use Todd Gurley, but this is a spot for him just to go mental and look like Todd Gurley. 
So I think the line of thinking is good. Um, I think it's a smart idea as long as the ownership lines up with what you're thinking. If the ownership is similar between the two, then no, I would play David Johnson. But I, I agree with you that I think people are going to be out on Gurley. The one thing is the, the thing that's always difficult about this is the casual DraftKings player is going to have so many good memories of Todd Gurley last year because the bulk of the season last year was you just play Todd Gurley and you figure else, uh, figure out the rest of your roster after sliding him in. And so if that player has kind of come back and they haven't been worried about the things that went on during the playoffs because maybe they weren't playing fantasy football as much during the playoffs, and they weren't as concerned about the things that happened in the offseason with the Rams matching the offer sheet to Malcolm Brown and then drafting Daryl Henderson then you do still see sometimes in drafts where Todd Gurley is still going in the first round. And so that's really the key is where that ownership is going to fall. But I agree with you for me that just the general idea that if I'm going to play Todd Gurley this year, it's more likely to happen on a week-to-week DFS situation than it is on a season-long situation because of my concerns over uh, the, the long-term health of the Saints. Mike, if we go to Le'Veon Bell and drop all the way down to Tevin Coleman, so 7100 to $5,000, who are you targeting from there? Because when I look at it, I do think that someone like Chris Carson and someone like Carrion Johnson could be good values, although all these guys in the upper sixes appear to be smash plays on paper. Yeah, I mean, the smash plays are Nick Chubb, Delvin Cook on paper. Those guys look great stepping into what could be workhorse type roles for offenses with good team totals offenses that are at home. But if you're dropping down sub six K uh, I think you want to take the chance on carry on Johnson against an Arizona team. That's likely to be pretty bad defensively, but run their offense at a fast pace this year. The thing with Arizona last year, they were very slow paced. They didn't run a lot of plays with the Cliff Kingsbury there. They're going to run a lot of plays or at least a league average amount of plays. And when you're a bad team running up tempo that means you're giving a lot of plays to the opposing offenses so between that and the Lions getting rid of Theo Riddick pretty high on carry on Johnson I know in the preseason some of the third down work hasn't gone his way and there's a little bit of concern there but if it does go his way you know the ceiling's absolutely massive in this game and if it doesn't go his way the environment is enough to get him there at a sub 6k price tag so he's definitely my favorite in the 5k range I look at Chris Carson, Drew, and I think that Seattle is going to run the ball. They're massive favorites at home against a pretty crappy Bengals team who returned one of the worst rush defenses in the league from last season. And, you know, not that much has really changed on the Bengals side of the ball in terms of actually stopping the run effectively. So even if they were down in the game, Seattle's going to run. But now they've started to use running backs out of the backfield as pass catchers a little bit more. I think people see the situation and say, well, I mean, Carson and Penny are going to be in a split, but the split is okay okay if it's the team that runs the ball the most out of anyone and it does seem like anytime that they're inside the 10 yard line that they're going to turn around and they're going to give the ball to Chris Carson that's how this works in this offense when he's healthy I think people are sleeping on him here so this is the situation that I would say from a season-long perspective in garnering kind of the intel and in season-long drafts that I'm most concerned about that we're that, that we're vulnerable to because I don't have any Chris Carson because he's been going in often the fourth rounds and, and early and sometimes even in the third rounds and drafts because of that touchdown upside and that perceived uh, increase in opportunity set with the departure of Doug Baldwin with some of the wide receiver injuries they've had early in the preseason and the reports that he's stepping into more of a market share in terms of the passing game. We've projected a little bit of an increase, but not a big increase. And so when he gets priced around these other guys that we feel more confident in their in their workloads, Dalvin Cook, the Nick Chubbs, um, in in Carryon Johnson as well, 
I'm a little bit concerned because there's been so much hype that in the in the season long uh, market that he will garner a lot of ownership because the the things you tend to hear. Uh, often repeated as rules of thumb for running back investment in DFS is, hey, big home favorites, uh, teams with high implied totals, and that's what Seattle's going to fit. So I'm really interested to see where the ownership shakes down here. I'm concerned because I, I think he is a player that has a huge opportunity set. There's a lot of targets departing. They can be a team that passes a little bit more, and I actually think that would be even a good thing for for Chris Carson because just increased involvement in the passing game as a whole, those those are more more valuable touches than uh, carries, um, but it's a it's a great matchup. It's a really, really good spot. I'm just concerned that the ownership is actually going to be there. That'll be the big differentiator for me with how I approach Chris Carson in week one. So, Drew, I think that Delvin Cook ends up garnering a lot of this ownership. Yeah. And if we do project Tony Pollard is super highly owned, too. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, you can play the three running backs. Someone needs to get left by the wayside. And where you can just pay up a little bit more and get Cook, he'll be there. But you hit on Nick Chubb. Would you rather have Le'Veon Bell or Nick Chubb? I'd rather play Nick Chubb. Um, you know, uh, Le'Veon, it's, it's been a long time since we've seen him playing football. And I think it's a pretty good price tag, but obviously it's a low total environment. The Bills have been a, a pretty good defense on the whole. So I know Le'Veon just has this, you know, incredible history. Uh, I believe he has the most yards per scrim, yards from scrimmage per game uh, in NFL history. But I, I would take Chubb, a bigger home favorite. I feel a little bit more confident in the Cleveland offense early in the season, perhaps a little bit of bias from uh, from my, my love of Baker Mayfield uh, comparing those two second-year quarterbacks now. But I, I think I would take Chubb, especially at the price discount, in, in getting back to the Carson thing, that Tony Pollard situation really does impact those secondary values that Chris Carson could be quite a bit in terms of ownership. Because if you do get Pollard, then it's like very clear that a lot of people are going to play Pollard. They're going to play Dalvin Cook. They're going to play Nick Chubb. People are still going to play Saquon and Christian McCaffrey. And that's where I start to see the Chris Carson ownership come down uh, quite a bit. The Tevin Coleman ownership come down. Maybe the on Johnson come down. But if you don't have that Tony Pollard situation, you have Zeke then I think those guys are going to be like the fourth or fifth or sixth best values for a lot of people. And I think they're going to then get owned. So I think that Zeke situation just really flips the script on the running back position as a whole. Mike, before we close out on running backs, we had kind of mentioned that Fournette and Damian Williams shape up to be the two lower owned pieces uh, of this pie here in the highest projected point total game. Mixon, basically no one is going to use, but we know he's a workhorse. We know he's probably going to catch out of the backfield. Yeah, maybe Gio Bernard cuts into that a little bit. It's not a great spot against Seattle as huge underdogs, but you know maybe Seattle's not as good as a lot of people think. Week one, there's a lot of wonkiness that happens. And then even in week two, there's a lot of overreaction to it. So is there any running back that we have haven't talked about that's on the main slate that you think deserves something to be said about them whether it be at the high end or the low end i feel like i have a pat mayo special here with chris thompson satellite back but big underdogs against philadelphia you know guy's still working his way back from the knee injury Uh, i know he played a decent bit in the third preseason game but you have to expect they're still gonna take it somewhat easy on him. I know you've got AP there, but in a game where they're likely to fall behind and they could possibly fall behind early, a really cheap Chris Thompson. It's intriguing to me. And I like those pass catching backs in this type of environment where the team might be down early when you're talking this really cheap price tag and no one's going to play him. Um, I mean, why would you with all the running backs on this slate? But I definitely could see if you made some Philly stacks running it back with Chris Thompson. Drew, do you have any feel for any low-end running backs that we haven't talked about? Or do you have a semblance of what's going to go on in the Eagles backfield. Cause that could be a great spot. 
I, I don't have a great handle on the Eagles backfield. I think they're going to rotate a lot of those guys early in the season. I do think the the season long hype around Miles Sanders is deserved based on his skill set, but not deserved based on where he's going in ADP now. Um, so I probably will not be playing that Eagles back. I think the Eagles in general are going to be a difficult team because they have so many offensive weapons. And I think the ball is going to get spread around quite a bit this year that it's going to feel uncomfortable stacking them at different points in the year, which might be good. That might come with low ownership. Um, I don't have any kind of off the radar running backs. I think Mike kind of picked the one that I would consider, which is Chris Thompson, which, you know, on DraftKings, the full point PPR, we've seen Chris Thompson have plenty of games where he catches, you know, seven balls for 70 yards and at 3,900 or whatever it is for, you know, 14 DraftKings points, let's say he gets a late garbage time touchdown, all of a sudden, you know, he's one of the best point per dollar plays on the entire slate. And that's not out of the realm of possibility uh, for a game stack that I think will be pretty low on the whole. When you're looking for new furniture, there's a lot to consider, like how you're going to get it into the door or up the stairs, or how you'll inevitably move it. But thanks to Burrow, you don't have to stress about any of that. Burrow makes simple, adaptable, easy-to-move furniture that can be assembled and disassembled in just a few minutes. Plus, it ships to your door fast and free. Burrow's clever design means it's easy to set up, easy to move, and easy to add or remove seats if needed. Burrow sofas feature naturally starch and stain-resistant fabric, sturdy hardwood frames, and soft, non-toxic foam cushions. There's even a built-in USB charger. Fantastic. Burrow is totally customizable, so you can pick one of five fabric colors, three leg finishes, two armrest styles, any length, and you can even add a chaise lounge or an ottoman. Plus, they just launched the Nomad Leather Collection featuring the same convenient design now with the option of top-grain Italian leather upholstery. At Burrow, one-week shipping is always free, and they stand by their furniture with a risk-free 30-day return period. Give your living room the upgrade it deserves with a Burrow sofa. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping by visiting burrow.com PME. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash P-M-E for $75 off a new sofa. Let's switch to wide receivers, and we go all the way to the top. We got Odell Beckham, and he is $8,100, taking on Tennessee. Good pass defense in Tennessee, by the way, as something to note. Maybe it's best to use someone else from the receiving core of that game. But Julio, Evans, Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, uh, A.J. Green is dead, basically. He's not playing. He's doubtful to play. You know, it's projected he comes back at earliest week three, but you never know with these sort of things. Just don't play A.J. Green. Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen, Stephen Diggs, T.Y. Hilton, Brendan Cooks, Robert Woods, Galladay, Godwin, Lockett. That is your $6,000 and above. Mike, this is the hardest part of my week is trying to figure out the top-end receivers that I want to play, so just tell me who to play, and I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, there's so many guys in the 6,000 range or even a little bit lower. I really like attacking the mid-tier this slate. You know, we talked about the running backs with Chubb, Damian, Dalvin Cook. I think an interesting I – don't, I don't know if it'll be full contrarian, but if you make some really balanced squads, you can get a ton of upside in your lineup. And I think a lot of people, especially early in the year, week one, because there are some cheaper guys because some mispricings – will try to go studs and duds just having a balanced lineup makes sense but i don't have a great feel as far as who's the best of the very top receivers i will say that one offense i'll probably bump is cleveland i think cleveland has a chance to 
just have an absurd year offensively. Baker Mayfield, one of the best quarterback prospects that we've seen the last handful of years. I really like, I, you know, you compare the situation, this team to what they were a year ago. It's night and day. You've got Odell Beckham Jr. there. More importantly, if you look at the regime, you hear no more Todd Haley, uh, no more. Of course, I'm forgetting the head coach's name Hugh there. Jackson. Hugh, Hugh, how can I forget Hugh? No more Hugh Jackson there. You bring in Freddie Kitchens, who had a lot of success the second half of the season as the interim coach. You bring in Monken from Tampa Bay, who had Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston at huge yards per attempt, throwing the ball in second and 10, throwing the ball down the field all the time. Huge A dot for Jameis Winston last season. You put that in Cleveland with their talent level. I think there's a chance they take a huge step forward. I know it's popular to hype them, but if you've got a feeling on an offense early in the year, you know, now is the time to take a stand before people have the data to sort of work it out. I remember uh, this is going back, but when Chip Kelly first came to the Eagles, we had a really good run the first few weeks of the season because people just didn't adjust to the Eagles pace offensively. Uh, There was also the one year that DeMarco Murray for, the Dallas Cowboys came out and was just absolutely on fire because people didn't adjust that Dallas was a better team. They're going to be super ground oriented with a super offensive line. If you've got some hot takes on offenses in general, week one, week two, that's the time to play those takes. And that's, what's cool about our optimizers. You can customize it. You know, you can up the number of plays for Cleveland. You can up the efficiency. You can up the expected team total. So even outside of Nick Chubb, I expect to play a lot of Cleveland, even though our projections don't love any individual pass catcher. I'll make sure to get my Baker Mayfield stacks. And that does lead me to a very long-winded way of saying uh, Odell Beckham is probably my preferred option of the very expensive receivers. Yeah, and if you do want to bump up the efficiency and the plays and you use the pro- promo code the PME at DailyRoto.com, get yourself 10% off. Drew, any of these top-end receivers that you're really drawn to as must-plays, are you taking a both similar strategy of playing balanced wide receivers along with everything and following Mike's idea of not necessarily having hot takes but thinking that you should have hot takes? Yeah, so I do think that early in the season is definitely the best time to, to kind of trust yourself and be willing to be contrarian. Uh, if you do have opinions, certainly we've seen offenses that nobody expected to be as, as dominant as they were in both the Rams and the Chiefs in recent years uh, kind of blow away expectations, even for teams that people thought might take steps forward. They weren't sure how much, and the magnitude of that was really high, and that's obviously difficult to adjust for for projection systems early in the season. So I definitely agree with that perspective. Um, in terms of the wide receivers, you know, we talk so much at the running back position about how Dalvin Cook would probably be one of the, the most heavily targeted plays, and that naturally creates a nice little leverage opportunity for guys like Stephen Diggs and Adam Thielen who are priced in kind of the high sixes range, which is a little bit cheaper than you usually get them. So I think those guys are, are pretty interesting both in terms of their price tag, but also in terms of the leverage that they'll create on so many teams playing Dalvin Cook lineups on the whole. I don't think, you know, the narrative in the, in the uh, preseason and in the second half of last year was how they became such a more run oriented team. So I, I think there's a little bit of a negative sentiment against the Minnesota passing game. Uh, that should lead to a little bit lower ownership. But yeah, on the whole, I, I think I agree with Mike that you know the mid-tier of, of wide receivers and kind of balance builds on the whole is where more of my ownership is likely to go. If you can figure it out with cheap guys, playing that Vikings-Atlanta passing game stack yeah. might be a stack that people just, whether it's Kirk Cousins and the two 
uh, Vikings receivers, whether it's like Matt Ryan, Julio, Ridley, and bring it back with a Thielen or something like that, or even a Dalvin Cook, and that's way to get exposure to him. I don't know if that's a game people are talking about or aren't talking about, but logically it makes a lot of sense that there would be a lot of points in that game. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, controlled environment and dome, pretty, you know, a ton of great receiving talent uh, on the field, probably three of the top, you know, 10 to 15 wide receivers uh, in, in all of football and being very conservative there. So a lot of offensive talent on the field. Obviously, the, the Vikings defense has been pretty good the last few years. But yeah, I, I think because that game has a little bit of a lighter total compared to some of the others, it might fly slightly under the radar with the exception of Dalvin Cook. I think everybody's going to play Dalvin Cook. The price tag is just too good. The preseason hype off that 80-yard touchdown run is really strong. Um, but I think the rest of the guys, you know, Julio, Thielen, Diggs, I think he might get some pretty good numbers on them. Uh, Mike, when we talk, you talk about Beckham by himself being the highest price guy. That's always going to garner some ownership at the very top end just because, hey, he's the highest price. He must be the best. Plus, he's Odell Beckham, and people love Baker and the brand. So he's going to have ownership with him. And then you have the other very stackable games that we talked about. Both Tampa Bay receivers are in this range. Um, and then you also have two of the Rams receivers and Cooks and Woods in this range. That does lead me towards some maybe of the lower own plays still in good spots. Like Patrick Peterson's not around. We know that Arizona is going to play a high tempo game. Detroit is very slow, but Marvin Jones has been dealing with this like weird knee ailment for a while that if Kenny Galladay gets locked in, like there's the potential for double digit targets and maybe even like the high end 15 or so targets. I don't think anyone's going to use them. Yeah. We have a pretty conservative baseline in terms of Detroit's expected plays, Detroit's pass uh, run ratio, just because they were somewhat slow paced. They were a pretty boring offense last year. And even with all that said, we have Kenny Galladay cracking our top 10 overall value. So I'm right there with you. I think that makes a lot of sense. I wonder how many, I wonder too, like you get in this bubble sometimes with this people that you follow. So a lot of the DFS people like Kyler Murray a lot. They like stacking this Arizona team in best ball leagues. So Christian Kirk there too. I wonder how many people are going to play Christian Kirk because if the ownership on Kirk ends up down because you've got both Carolina guys right there and Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, then a stack of this game involving Kyler Murray, Christian Kirk, bringing it back with Kenny Galladay is really intriguing to me. And the pace of this game if it's controlled by Arizona might make the way where you could use a couple of guys from each team, which uh, you know, I could see a lot of people using one guy from one of the teams, but I don't think people are going to full game stack this. And that's appealing to me too. Just if you happen to get right on the number of plays run where you use a lineup with carry on and Kenny Galladay, I could see it happening. Drew. Hashtag team sacks. There you are. Um, what about Amari Cooper in the spot, Drew? Cause it does feel like he is going to be the other wide receiver that falls through the cracks in the spot against the giants and we know of his boom or bust potential but seven thousand dollars is never the right price for Amari cooper he should either be <laughs> sixteen thousand or a hundred <laughs> yeah those are the game logs right you either get that kind of value you either get uh 40 plus or you get like five or below um i like Amari cooper in this spot a lot more if he sits for two purposes one Obviously, with Ezekiel Elliott, if, if he's uh, unable to play, then that opens up just more possibilities of Dallas being a little bit pass heavier or trying to feed the ball a little bit more to the guy that they view as their best offensive player left on the field. And I assume that would be Amari Cooper. Uh, also, though, is that if Zeke doesn't play, 
Tony Pollard's going to get tons and tons of ownership. And so the natural leverage spot to Tony Pollard failing, um, as long as you assume that Dallas offensively is still going to be competent against the Giants, is that they have a great passing game. And, you know, Dak to Amari stacks that fade Tony Pollard, our situation certainly could play all three in like onslaught situations. Uh, but those stacks that uh, do fade Pollard, if it is a game where, you know, the, the Giants stuff the run and, and Dak has a big passing game, uh, you've got you've got leverage and you've got upside with with Amari with the type of ceiling that he has. So I obviously am more interested in him if Zeke does hold out and, and miss that miss that first game. Uh, if Zeke plays, then I think you're going to get kind of lower ownership on them altogether, uh, but you won't get that kind of leverage that you'd be getting on the field uh, with the field likely loading up on Pollard. Starting in week 12 last year, DraftKings points per game for Amari Cooper. He had 41, 14.6, 52.7, 8.3, 6, 7.1, 20.6, 20.5 in the playoffs against the Rams. So he averaged 20 points per game in the playoffs, but we just saw the up and down yo-yo nature of where he's at. And I always just think the best way to approach Amari Cooper is if people are on him, do not play him. If people are off of him, do play him. Mike, does that make sense? I think that makes sense with wide receivers in general. There's so much variance. We obviously do our best to capture the context that the players are in, but there's just way more variance than there is at the running back position. You know, all the math that I've run uh, on our projections on market projections shows that that's just the case. So especially with these boomer bust guys, Cooper, man, you had to bring up last year though. I remember winning, I was winning a GPP and it was Dallas <laughs> Philly as one of the later four o'clock games. And I was like, this game's going pretty well. It's really low scoring. It was the second half. I think Cooper scored three touchdowns between the third quarter and the fourth quarter and like late third too. And so now I have bad memories and bad vibes going into week one. So thanks a lot, Pat. Yeah. Well, I don't think that there's a single person alive who's ever owned or played Amari Cooper. That doesn't have bad vibes about Amari Cooper. <laughs> Especially. Yeah. CSU Rams. Yeah. But he plays him every week. So he, so he remembers yeah, the he, highs so he as got well. Those. That's, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So, but I, I mean, I think that makes sense. It's a weird price range. I don't think the ownership's going to be there. You know, I, is the foot thing an issue, especially if they're up a lot in this game? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's worth, definitely worth dabbling. I'm sure I'll have a handful. I don't think it's someone I'll be heavy on. Um, I like Sammy Watkins though, as a big play guy, you don't have the same boom as Amari Cooper because you have the competition for targets that Amari Cooper doesn't have and Travis Kelsey and then Tyreek Hill. But Watkins target share was a lot closer to those guys. And I think people realize, um, you know, very early in the year last year, uh, we saw it was a three headed monster with those guys. And, you know, if something happens to an injury in front of him in game, not that you're ever planning for that in DFS, but I just think there's a lot of ways that the Sammy Watkins thing could break right. And even if none of those things happen, just from a pure math standpoint with that team total, with that team's passing efficiency, with the volume we expect him to get, even as third fiddle, really good value at his price tag. So from a, from a pure math standpoint, if there's an injury to a Kansas city receiver during the game, it's probably to Sammy though, unfortunately, just from a pure math standpoint. That's, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Point conceded. So of all these guys from 6,000 to 4,000 drew the wide receiver in week one DraftKings, uh, I like Didi. I'm just, I'm just in love with Didi Westbrook. Uh, so that's where I'm going to be at. You talked about the Carolina guys. Mike said Sammy Watkins. Is there anyone else that we should be giving preferential treatment to here? Like is Tyler Boyd someone to go after with no AJ Green as nine point underdogs on the road? That seems like a decent situation. You had mentioned Christian Kirk before, but outside of that, I guess Jamison Crowder at $4,100 is okay. 
There's still there's there's actually quite a few guys that I like in there too. Um, I like Mike Williams, big play Mike Williams. Obviously, Keenan Allen's been hampered during the preseason. We'll see what the Melvin Gordon situation is. But um, if they were without Melvin Gordon, uh, certainly they do improve in the red zone by getting Hunter Henry back. But we also think that Hunter Henry will probably have a lot of ownership at tight end because of his unusually cheap price tag. Uh, Mike Williams at 5,300, I think, is a, a great leverage play uh, as a receiver option there. I think he's in a pretty good spot. Tyler Boyd, you mentioned a uh, little bit elevated price tag, closer to 6,000. But I think he certainly has a uh, justified huge target share opportunity without A.J. Green. And that Seattle defense uh, looks like one that will probably take a step back this season. So I could definitely see that. Um, looking around, we don't mind Robbie Anderson, but we'll need to see, obviously, the you know the health status uh, going into week one because he's been dealing with a little bit of an injury here at the end of the preseason. And then if you want to go, you know, Mike talked about kind of the, the Cleveland stacks. If you were looking for somebody that's relatively affordable, just below this price range that you're asking about, Pat, but at 4,900 is Corey Davis, who had a big target share last year. We'll have to deal with Delaney, Delaney Walker coming back. Obviously, it's a situation where I don't think there's going to be any ownership. And so if you are making those Browns kind of uh, stacks with Baker and Baker's expensive enough that you're probably double stacking him, uh, you might be bringing those games back with like someone like Corey Davis. Yeah, that's an uncomfortable usage of Corey Davis. I, dra- I draft him as a wide receiver three in one of my leagues. I'm like, I hate this. This is a horrible pick. He is, he is the prototypical guy that you want to draft in a best ball league and like no other league. Because the weekly management leagues, when you're sitting there and you're like, who am I going to start? Oh, Corey Davis is there. Well, who else do I have? Like you never feel super confident, but in those best ball leagues where you don't have to set your roster and you just wait for the scores to come in, that's the that's the spot that I like Corey Davis quite a bit. Yeah, I mean they did bring in Adam Humphreys as well, and yeah. obviously AJ Brown. I don't know how integrated into the offense he's going to be, and the return of Delaney Walker. Humphreys could be somewhat interesting. I'm just, I don't think his upside is high enough to no. not play a wait and see game with him, Mike. But if you had to pick between the Carolina guys, Leone, would it be Samuel or would it be Moore? Cause I'm on team DJ Moore here. I just think he's better. Wow. Yeah, it's tough. And that's the way our season long projections see it. We think DJ Moore is better. There was a few weeks span where you couldn't open up Twitter without seeing someone tout Curtis Samuel. It was just absolutely insane. It seems like it's died down a little bit. The ADP on those two was getting somewhat close at some point in time. I think it's regressed a little bit, but we have them as the top two values. They're just so underpriced. We technically have Curtis Samuel as the top guy overall, but I think when you factor in ownership, he's probably going to be higher owned with all that hype with the lower price tag. So I'll go DJ Moore. And as you said, Pat, uh, he's just better. You know, we've already seen some really good production out of him at a young age, whereas Curtis Samuel, you're expecting more of a leap to happen uh, than whereas DJ Moore, if you just look at the comps of guys that project like him, they're all really favorable. So under $4,000 and under the five guys that I've identified here, Drew, and maybe you agree with them, maybe you don't. So you can throw some cold water on this one. You guys like Marquise Goodwin. I think Debo Samuel's interesting. If this Dante Pettis thing turns out to be like, Oh, maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not going to play. I'm not super confident in that one, but the below $4,000 guys, I like Cole Beasley with Josh Allen. I think that's a very good scenario for him. He's 3,600 people love Trey Quinn three months ago. No one's talking about him now. He's $3,400 in a game where Washington has to pass. They are the biggest underdogs. I think on the entire slate, Uh, Rashad Higgins at $3,200. You want to get a cheap piece of that Cleveland offense because the pricing 
came out and Antonio Callaway is no longer going to be around, at least for week one. Higgins is just sitting there at 3,200. And then Jaron Brown, if DK Metcalf sits out for Seattle, is $3,100, does possess big playability. He is fake John Brown, but hey, maybe he has a chance to overcome that this season in Seattle. I think those four guys, if I were to pay down, were where I would want to go to. Yeah, we totally agree with our with our projections right now. And, and Brown is the guy that I think would potentially garner the most ownership of that group if Metcalf and David Moore both ruled out. Uh, the David Moore news sounded horrible, and then it sounds like it's not quite that bad, but I still don't expect him to play week one. And Metcalf would be a surprise for week one as well. So you get a starting receiver for a team with a hefty implied total, a player that the coaching staff has talked about during the course of preseason that they needed to get more opportunities on the field. I think he would probably be the most popular of that group. Um, but just like Mike brought up Chris Thompson for all those reasons, I think Trey Quinn is like the same exact play, uh, just at a position that comes with less opportunity cost because the running back values are so strong. The wide receiver values aren't quite that strong. Um, so I think Trey Quinn makes a lot of sense in those Eagle stacks. And I, I honestly would probably play him before I play Chris Thompson as well. Uh, Mike, what do you make of those lower end cheap values at receiver? Yeah, I think you hit on all the ones that we like. One that I'll add is Danny Amendola. Uh, you know, you mentioned Marvin Jones a little bit banged up. We've been talking about the pace of this game just as a PPR guy in an up-tempo game. And if Detroit does end up trailing in this game on the road in Arizona, you know, not the craziest thing in the world, even though they are favorites in this game and they have to play up-tempo because they're behind. They play up-tempo because Arizona is playing up-tempo. They're pass-heavy because they're playing from behind. You could see Danny Amendola rack up a lot of catches in this game. I know he's not your traditional upside guy, uh, but any time on a full PPR site, you get a guy that can catch eight balls. Uh, you know, the upside is there at a sub 4K price tag. Okay, let's move to quarterbacks. You guys hit on Kyler Murray a little bit earlier. He was the, all the talk of the preseason, and then he was the talk of the preseason for all the wrong ideas. But people love Kyler Murray, Drew. Are you going to use Kyler Murray here? Man, you know, when pricing was first released, it was the talk of Twitter. Everyone, uh, Kyler Murray is going to be hundred percent owned. Everybody's going to play Kyler Murray. And then like three weeks later, I don't know if that's still the same sentiment. It'll be really interesting to me because there are some quarterbacks from high total games that have high implied totals themselves priced right around Kyler Murray and guys like Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz. Um, and I don't know if after a few preseason games, people will feel safer with those options. So I do like Kyler Murray's upside. I think he's got a unique combination of passing and rushing ability. I think it is a difficult matchup. Not only does Detroit generally play kind of ball control uh, offense, but they improved their defensive line quite a bit in the off season. And Arizona's biggest, biggest issue last year was blocking and, and giving time to their quarterbacks. And so that is a, a slight concern for me. Um, ultimately, I'm probably going to be on the opposite side of ownership wherever it is. If he's highly owned, I'll probably be uh, off Kyler Murray. If he's low owned, I'll probably be on Kyler Murray. If he's medium owned, I'll probably take some you know middling position that I'm not super excited about. In general, quarterbacks, they all kind of bunch together in projections. It's very hard for them to separate from one another. So it's a position for me that often I like to separate based on either their skill position players and the ones that I like there or based on ownership because it's more likely that I'm going to get the ownership right then I am going to get the projection gap right between these quarterbacks on a week-to-week -week basis they just all kind of bunch together in projections Mike if you only had to use two quarterbacks on this slate who would they be they would be Josh Allen <laughs> I'll say Baker Mayfield just you know I touted that our projections aren't in love with him but as Drew said it's very congested so on feel I will go Baker Mayfield and I'll go Kyler Murray 
Okay. And Drew, if it was you, who would it be? And would Brissette breach that for you? Ooh, Brissette might, maybe not my top two. Um, I think my top two would be uh, Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott. Really? Carson Wentz? How come? Yeah, I think it's just a really good spot for an Eagles offense to generate consistent drives and, and points down the field against Washington. In general, our research has indicated that the things you want to focus on when investing in quarterbacks, um, not only price point, but specifically uh, quarterbacks that play from ahead, because a lot of people think, oh, you're going to get so much more passing volume if you play from behind. But what really drives most of quarterback projection is touchdowns. And so I want the, the quarterbacks that are going to be on teams that are scoring the most touchdowns this week. Uh, those are two of the teams that I think are going to score the most touchdowns, and they're both priced pretty reasonably below 6000 Yeah, I mean, you can have the good Kyler Murray and Josh Allen for exactly the same price, so that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> but if you're just looking in that price range, we mentioned Diggs, we mentioned Thielen, that everyone's going to be on Dalvin Cook. Wouldn't Kirk Cousins end up being a really good play? Yeah, I think he's going to be low-owned, too. So I, I think he would be a really, really solid tournament play. Um, and he's one you can you can play with Dalvin Cook, too. You can play Dalvin Cook plus one of the receivers and then hope, you know, they just score 30 to 40 points and everybody's kind of involved. Uh, but, yeah, Kirk Cousins, pretty good price tag there at 5500 And he is just – you look at those names and you look at the implied totals that are around him, he's not, he's not the sexiest name on the board. He doesn't have the highest implied total on the board, and he's got the running back that's going to uh, carry the most ownership. That is a recipe for low ownership for quarterback. Uh, I like Nick Foles, like I mentioned, Mike, but I just don't think I'm going to play enough lineups to get to Nick Foles, that if I only play like 10 or so, he's not going to end up making those 10. I'm going to try to concentrate a little bit more. But if I tried to go high end, like 6,000 and above, would it be Mahomes? Would it be Jameis Winston? Would it be Cam, who I'm not sure a ton of people are going to be on because of that foot injury? We'll have to see what his status is going to be, or is it just going to be like, I like Baker Mayfield, I like Lamar Jackson, that's just how it's going to be. I mean, I think it's Cam. I, I do worry a little. I mean, the second I start worrying about ownership, I also start to think about it's a onesie position. There's so many guys with congested projections that you're probably not going to get huge leverage at the quarterback position anyway. So I, you know, I start thinking about ownership and then I throw it right back out where I'm probably going to play a lot of guys at the quarterback position and spread them out. You know, I'll be tighter at the running back position. I talked about maybe locking Tony Pollard if Zeke's out. There's nobody at quarterback that I would you know, consider doing that. What uh, It's going to be very spread out. But I do like Cam a lot just because uh, if Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore are as good as the preseason hype on both those guys, we've already seen what Christian McCaffrey can do. Uh, hopefully Cam is back and healthy. I know he had the foot thing going on. Sounds like he's okay. But the shoulder, the arm, sounds like it's in a much better spot than it was last year. That uh, I think the upside here is just magnificent. When you circle him with all these weapons, and, oh, yeah, it's still Cam Newton uh, who has these elite athletic traits and huge body size for a quarterback and put up some serious rushing stats on any given day. Uh, I like him a lot. Drew, if we talk about tight ends, you have that upper tier of guys starting off with Kelsey. You have Ertz on this slate. You have Kittle on this slate. You also have Evan Ingram and O.J. Howard. Of those five guys, how much do you think of total tight end percentage is going to be wrapped up? And then we'll throw in Hunter Henry at $3,900 to it. The top six tight ends in redraft leagues in rankings are all on this slate. And they're all in pretty good spots, to be perfectly honest with you, except for maybe Evan Ingram, but the volume should overcome that. That is anyone going to own anyone else besides those six guys? Yeah, so I, I'm trying to think. And my first instinct was 80%, and I'm not sure if that's too low, honestly. Um, 
yeah, I think it's going to be somewhere between 80 to 90% of the ownership is going to be within those six guys. I think it's just that one, the tight end position is one where the top guys do generally separate quite a bit from the rest of the pack. And then two, usually most weeks during the, the DraftKings season, you won't, you, you'll feel like you can't get up to Travis Kelsey or you can't get up to Zach Ertz or George Kittle because roster pricing is kind of tight. And that's just not the case in week one. So because they're easily accessible, I think you're going to get a pretty strong ownership on, on that group as a whole. And I guess it's somewhere between 80 to 90%, meaning literally anyone else that you play that is not one of those six guys is naturally going to be very low owned. Mike, do you have a preference between those top six guys? Because I think it's nice to see the value of Hunter Henry, and I think that's where people will gravitate. Obviously, Kelsey is Kelsey. But for this specific slate, I don't think that Kittle is going to be super-duper high-owned, and he may have the best matchup against the Bucks. Yeah, I think Kittle's upside is obviously enormous. The math that we spit out in our projections and that I trust and I was beating on this drum and season long a little bit, I think Zach Ertz is getting a little overlooked, which is weird coming off such an absolutely massive season. But it seems like so many out there talking about the expected regression, which, yeah, it's going to happen. The guy saw, what, 150 targets last year? But we're expecting 30 less targets this year, and he still you know, projects pretty darn good for a team that, as Drew stated when talking about Carson Wentz, going to put up points, has a fairly easy matchup, uh, one of the higher expectations for passing touchdowns on this slate. So I'll take Zach Ertz for 500 bucks more. And I think people are going to play Kittle more than they're going to play Ertz. There's just this stigma around Ertz right now where people much prefer Kittle because of the upside. And I see that when you look at the yak that Kittle offers and the very high-end upside. Um, but I think more times than not, Ertz beats Kittle in this spot and he does it at a lower price and lower ownership yeah if Kittle comes in higher owned then uh, like it becomes like the highest owned guy here that I might actually try to find a way to get up to Kelsey but Drew if you had to pick one of those six guys who is it I would say I'd feel most confident in Hunter Henry delivering on his price tag and I'd feel most confident um, of the high-end guys relative to price point and Zach Ertz delivering on his price tag and then I'd agree with you, Pat, that I, I do think Kittle's going to be relatively low-owned. I think that that O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram group is going to be really low-owned. Um, I think I think so much of the uh, really low-owned compared to the other you know four to five tight ends in that group. I, I think so much of the ownership is going to condense on Henry, Ertz, and Kelsey um, out, of that, out of that six-man group. You guys think Ertz – I'm just surprised you guys think Ertz is going to be chalky. I don't I, think yeah, I think he, I think he, I think he will because he's cheaper. He's a thousand dollars cheaper than Kelsey, and I think like while while a thousand dollars isn't necessary on this slate, like I think that gap is going to uh, funnel people towards him. And since he's the cheapest of the top three, I think he's going to have some ownership. I agree with you that Ingram will kind of fly under the radar here potentially, but I don't know about OJ Howard just because so many people will likely stack the Buccaneers offense that if they play different variations of that lineup, you leave Godwin at a one, you put in OJ Howard, you leave Evans at a one, you put in OJ Howard, or you just play all four of them together and just see how that goes. Uh, three guys potentially that will definitely come in with low ownership that if you did want to take the gamble on, Mike, I'll give you the three right now. If Jordan Reed doesn't play, you have Vernon Davis, Austin Hooper in a match up against a Vikings defense that is stout but bad against tight ends at least they were last year like I mentioned off the top I don't hate Jeff Swain yeah I, I'm on one of those three um, that's Austin Hooper who we like a lot in season long and we've already hit on this Atlanta Minnesota game being somewhat under owned outside of the Dalvin Cook play so I'm really into Austin Hooper 
my two other cheap guys that I would be looking at Tyler Eifert, um, just with AJ green out, he's a guy that has a really high touchdown rate, uh, and a lot of the TDs scale even further his way with AJ green out. And it's early in the season. He hasn't gotten hurt yet. So we can use him very cheap and a spot where they're pretty big underdogs who might be passing a lot. And then also Greg Olson, just again, if you're looking at a game that people like to stack and you're trying to find some way to get some leverage off of that, well, maybe come off a Carolina receiver in a few of your lineups and go with Greg Olson instead. If you were to use one of the cheapos, Drew, who would it be? Hooper. Hooper would be my guy. I think that uh, that Atlanta-Minnesota game, of course, us talking about it is probably going to push the needle a little bit, but I think Hooper would, would be my guy. He's also had kind of that big play potential throughout his career. Um, not quite to the extent of someone like OJ Howard or George Kittle, but he has broken off quite a few big plays. And at 3,200, I think it is, um, he's, he's the guy that would be the, the most attractive target. Let's finish this off with the DSTs that you could end up using. The ones that I like from the top end, I like the Cowboys and I like the Eagles. I think that almost everybody likes those two. So if we had to differentiate somewhere, Drew, where would it be? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, historically, obviously, Buffalo has been a team that, you know, with Josh Allen now and with Tyrod Taylor before these kind of running quarterbacks that um, also take a lot of sacks. Um, so, you know, the Jets defense at, uh, at home is, is relatively interesting for 3,100 from our projections. I think the Detroit defense is pretty interesting. As I mentioned, I think while I like Kyler Murray quite a bit, I also think if they're going to run a lot of plays, the good side of that is your defense is getting a lot of opportunities for uh, accruing points as well. So even if Arizona's scoring and, and having drives, if they're just playing fast, you're getting a lot of opportunities at sacks or uh, turnovers. So I think Detroit at 2,900. Uh, but I agree with you. I think the biggest mismatch on the slate, I know, Pat, you often talk about this when you talk about how to evaluate defenses is basically to look at, you know, pressure rates uh, from the defensive line compared to the opposing offensive line and what they give up. And I think when we're looking at things at the end of the season, I think we're going to see that the Eagles pass rush has been one of the top 10 pass rushes in the league and has a ton of depth to it. And we're going to see that that Washington offensive line without Trent Williams is really, really a big downgrade. And so I think, you know, the Eagles are a home team that's going to play from ahead most likely. Uh, they're one of my favorite defenses on the whole slate. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now in terms of offensive line adjusted sack rate from a year ago, Drew, uh, on this slate. I mean, you have Miami, uh, who Baltimore is, you know, they're going to be a very popular defense as well. So they're very usable in this spot. I mean, you could use Cincinnati against Seattle, but they're on the road. I don't like that at all. I guess the other one would be the Browns against Tennessee. Just the Tennessee offensive line, especially with Mariota running around like a crazy person and not being good, that where everything's going to filter to the Ravens and the Seahawks and the Cowboys and the Eagles, the Browns are relatively high priced, but could present a lot of value here, especially at low ownership. Yeah, I could definitely see that one too. Um, you know, the the talent on the defensive line for the Browns uh, only going to get better year after year. These these super young guys. So I feel like there's a there's a lot of opportunity. Just like you know, Mike was talking about being kind of early on the Browns offense. I think you could kind of uh, take that approach with their defense as well, especially with the front four able to generate pressure. Uh, Mike, besides Detroit, is there any defense that you like at the lower end? Well, I mean, if you're playing the variance game, two really cheap defenses that no one's going to play both sides of the Tampa Bay, San Francisco game. You know, we just expect a lot of pass attempts, but we could also see uh, some mistakes from both of those quarterbacks and uh, defense is very tough to predict. You get one big play, it can completely change the slate for that defense. It can make them the best value on the slate, one given play. And 
I think going the bare minimum basically in salary on those two in a game that no one's going to play the defenses because they're using a lot of players from those games is something that I'll try in tournaments. It's not like heavy exposures, but give me five to 10% of each. I think that makes sense. Uh, and I'll probably have a pretty spread out approach at defense. Uh, all right. That'll do it. Any final thoughts, Mike Leone? I would just say try to, and, and some of this depends on the Zeke Pollard news, but try to build some balanced lineups where you just have an insane amount of upside across the board. The guys that get the requisite volume for huge games. I think you can pack that in week one when a lot of people might be tempted to go studs and duds and use some of those 9K players with some of those cheaper guys that are good values, but they're not huge volume guys. And I think because the market's probably going to go that way a bit more, you can eke out more upside at lower ownership by going you know, kind of down the middle, really sticking to that 6K-ish range. Drew, for week one on DraftKings, besides using the promo code THEPME at Daily Roto and getting 10% off, what other final advice would you have for the peoples? The other advice that I'd give is that week one is usually the best week of the season to find good contests in terms of lower site fees and i know the the pat mayo listener league is certainly going to be one of those with with it being rake free um but make make sure to take advantage of those contests uh you know there's a few in the lobby that we we kind of hit on um in the in the preview show and i think you know these listener leagues uh the, the pat mayo listener league the edge listener league some of these rake free uh dfs tournaments are huge huge opportunities um to get full value for your dollar and take advantage of those in week one all right. I want to thank Drew. I want to thank Mike for being on the show. We'll have a fresh update on the DraftKings situation next Friday when the injury report comes out. So tune into the Pat Mayo experience. In between then, we got rankings. We got spread picks. And maybe from DailyRoto.com, Drewby might pop on the line, the king of showdown, to talk about the opening night showdown. Not confirmed. Trying to work that out. He said he'd do it. But do I have the time? I do. But We'll, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, play in the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. You find the link in the description, so go do that. You can get into a draw for 20 DK dollars by smashing the like button for the episode, leaving your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and telling me your favorite value, any position on the board for the main slate in week one. You can subscribe, rate, and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, five stars, DraftKings handle, something nice, and follow me on Instagram at thepme, and comment, after you heart the photo, a football photo that's up there, and leave your DraftKings handle. That will do it. Appreciate you all watching. It's the supersized version of week one. Get fired up, all right? I'm Pat Mayo. Good luck. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo experience! Experience!